so our reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 33 and then a bit from chapter 40. We're starting Exodus 33 verse 12 on page 92. Moses and the glory of the Lord. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Moving forward a few pages to chapter 40, Uh, the very end of Exodus is on page 101. Exodus 40, starting at verse 34. The glory of the Lord. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brilliant. Thanks, Sue, very much indeed. Uh, how good it is to be together. Can I just say how encouraging it is to see people sitting near the front and, 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 and down the Atlanta and around the sides. In fact, we're filling most of the seats, which is brilliant, but it's always encouraging for the preacher or for the leader of any service to, to have people near, near the front rather than that sort of big, you know, the Red Sea opens up usually between the preacher and the back of the congregation. Um, I always find it strange how in, in church people have to try and get here early to get a seat at the back uh, rather than a seat at the front, which I mean, 
Uh, hey, but it's, so, it's, so it's, it's really wonderful, and, um, and that's, that's, so thank you for that. That's encouraging. Uh, it's also, there's a great advantage of being at the front, is that you get to hear God's people singing over you. It is so much better at the front than at the back. So just to say, get here early, <laughs> and then you can hear God's people singing over you. Um, brilliant. The only other thing I want to say before we uh, pray and get into the passage is, is that we had a really, really good uh, week this week. On, on Tuesday, we had an amazing set of interviews um, as uh, we interviewed for the associate minister role. Some really wonderful, uh, godly, uh, passionate people, passionate for Jesus. Uh, and, and, and we're nearly there in terms of appointment. We can't announce anything today, but we are, uh, are really excited, the panel and, uh, uh, who've, who've been involved, uh, of what the Lord is doing and um, who he's bringing. So uh, we'll hopefully be able to announce that soon. But just wanted to say thank you for your prayers for this week and do pray on uh, that will come to, f- to fruition. Good, let's, uh, let's pause again. Let's keep your Bible open, book of Exodus. Uh, we've been studying this. We're coming to the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, so much for your amazing grace to us. We thank you that as your glory descended on the tabernacle uh, to be present amongst your people, uh, that you want to be present here. You want hearts that are open uh, to you making your home uh, in our lives and in our church. And so we pray that even this morning you would be at work moving by your Holy Spirit and opening our minds and hearts to you, the living God, that we would draw near as you draw near to us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brian, I wonder what you would answer if I said, what, what do you want more than anything else right now? Uh, you might say, oh, I really fancy a cup of coffee. I, I, I don't mean that. Uh, you might say, I'd really like England to win the World Cup. Uh, possible, but uh, uh, I don't mean that either. I mean, what do, you, what do you really want more than anything else in your life? You, you, know, you might say, I, I just want to say, I want peace. The turbulence and struggle, I, I need peace. Uh, you may say, I, I need some security and support. I, I'm shaken in this cost of living crisis. I, I need some security. You may say, I, I need a community around me, a community of loving people uh, in this epidemic of loneliness. I, I need community. You may say, I, I want a job where I can use my gifts and, and feel valued and, and, and satisfied. You may say, I, just, I, need to, I want some joy and hope in this time when there's so much sorrow and sadness. Maybe you're saying, I, I want a healing. I want healing for a broken relationship. And maybe say, I'm healing for a broken body, my own or someone I love. What do you want more than anything else? I mean, all of those things I've, I've mentioned are real, genuine needs, right desires, and maybe they resonate some with you, one or more of those. Because they're things that God cares about. He cares about these, these things. Um, maybe there are other things that you are longing for in your life that you'd want to share. I mean... That's one of the reasons we come together on a Sunday as, a, as we gather together as God's people is to share our longings and desires uh, with, with other people. Don't go away without doing that today if there's things on your heart. The members of the prayer team uh, there during communion and at the end, uh, go and share with, with them what is your greatest longing and desire. So all those things I, I mentioned, peace, security, uh, community, joy... Uh, they're all real, genuine needs and, and longings. But I want to suggest this morning that there is one need greater than all of those. Uh, in fact, one thing that subsumes them all, one thing that 
is prior to them and ultimately is the answer to those other needs. And it is, of course, the need for God himself. The need for God's presence with us, with his people. Maybe it's obvious, but, but I think sometimes we can easily miss the obvious. I have to say, just sharing personally, the last three or weeks, four weeks have, have felt hard. I've felt stretched uh, beyond the much I have been in the past. There's, there's lots going on. There's so many people I want to see, and sorry if you're some of those and I haven't yet seen you, but there's people on my mind and in my heart. There's pastoral challenges. There are things to organize. There's services to uh, lead. There's stuff at the school. There's recruiting a new associate minister. There's supporting uh, our own families, Debbie and, and I. Um, and we're only just starting Advent. Imagine that. Christmas is, is still to come. Uh, and, and so I've been crying out to God in these last few weeks for, for God's energy for his wisdom, for his peace, for his provision. And, and I know that others have been doing that too. And you've, some of you have said, I'm, I'm praying for you, and I've really valued that. Thank you very much for your prayers. But it was uh, early on Friday morning, Thursday being a, a difficult day and, and evening, and, and, and early Friday meaning I was, I was meeting with a, a brother. We meet regularly on a Friday morning. We've been reading a book on, on leadership, and we came to a chapter on prayer. A uh, wonderful chapter. It reminds you how, how we are adopted. We are loved by God, beloved children of a heavenly Father. And, uh, and one of the phrases I, I just read says, yeah, we don't come before God as pastors, bishops, conference speakers, or missionaries. We only ever come before him as children. Children in the presence of a father. It's all, all he wants, all we need. And, and then an hour, about an hour later, two later, I was in the office here um, studying the Exodus and preparing for today and, and reading and rereading. And, and I was reminded, of course, there is nothing more important than God himself, God's presence. And I found myself just saying, praying a very simple prayer. I, I was praying, I, I, I'm sorry, God, if I, I want you for your stuff. I want you for you. Lord, I'm sorry if I want you for your stuff. I want you for you. And, and in his wonderful kindness, the Lord blessed me with an overwhelming, tangible sense of his presence in the, in the office on, on Friday morning. He was there with me. I was simply a child in the presence of a father. And it's all I need. And the peace and the wisdom and the energy and the wisdom and the strength, and, you know, they flow out of that. But, but it's God himself who I need more than anything. And it's God who we need, you need, who we need as a church, his presence in our midst. That's our greatest Need And in his amazing grace, that's what God chooses to do, to dwell amongst us. He's not some sort of distant, far-off, unknowable deity. That's how the world largely thinks of God, if there is a God at all. But, but he's a God who comes and makes his presence known. And it's Moses who grasps that. If you just want to turn back to chapter 33, uh, it's on page 92. If you've uh, closed your Bibles, page 92. Uh, Moses grasps this priority. Uh, Chapter 33, verse um, 12, he says, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me lead these people, but but you haven't let me know whom you will send with me. Remember, he'd had Aaron to be his mouthpiece. He's wondering who else he's going to send with him. And uh, the Lord answers, uh, verse 14, uh, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you. 
and I will give you rest. And, and you can tell Moses has got it because he says, verse 15, uh, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. You know, we're not leaving this, po- this place unless you go with us, unless you are present with us. He knows that the most important thing is God's presence with his people. See, God's people need God's presence. It's the most precious thing we can have, and God in his grace wants to be present with us. It's, it's the story of the whole Bible, of course, God's being present. In Genesis 1, he's present in creation as he creates all things. In Genesis 2, he's walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, unbroken fellowship, presence. And then, of course, it all goes terribly wrong The tragedy of of Genesis 3 as humanity turns its back on God uh, in disobedience creates this great rift. God and man now divided. God's presence is far away. God's intimate presence removed as he expels Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. And yet that's not the end of it, wonderfully. Uh, You see, God comes visiting. He makes his presence known to Abraham first and then to Isaac and then to Jacob, and then to a people uh, of his own, this nation of Israel. And they were taken into Egypt. And as we've seen in this book of Exodus, right where it begins, 70 70 people are taken in. At 400 years later, there's a nation of about 600,000, or a couple of million, if you 600,000 men. Uh, And as we've seen in this book of Exodus, God is coming to be present. He hears their cries of slavery. He sees what's going on. He speaks to Moses from a burning bush. He raises up a saviour. He comes and uh, graciously uh, delivers them out of slavery and shows them how he should live on the, with the Ten Commandments. That's where we've got the first 20 chapters of Exodus. They're exciting. They're action-packed. They're, they're um, you know, every, you know, lots of children's stories come out of the, that, that, those first 20 chapters of Exodus. But then you get this kind of slightly boring 20 chapters. I mean, don't tell anyone I said that about God's word because it's not boring really. But it's different. Up to chapter 20, uh, it's exciting. And then you get 20 to 40, which is largely instructions. Instructions about uh, how to build a big tent. It's going to be known as the tabernacle. And, and it gives all sorts of details, what color the curtains are to be and how many curtain rings there should be and, and what exact furniture you should have in there and, and, and so on. And then, and then you think, oh, phew, I've got through all of that. And then it's all repeated again. You hear almost exactly the same stuff. You know, 50 gold curtain rings. There must be 50, there must be gold, there must be set about this distance apart. And, and, and this second 20 chapters feels like it's, what's all this about? But of course... This is what this book is all about. You see, this is the tabernacle. This is where God dwells, is present amongst his people. This is the great climax of the book. As we get to chapter 40, where the tabernacle is built, and God comes and he dwells right in the middle of his people. He's present among his people. And they only move when he says move. Uh, When his presence is with them, he's going to lead them to the promised land, but, but they shouldn't move unless he moves. And Moses has grasped that. I, I, I won't move unless you come with us because God's presence amongst his people is more significant than anything else. This is the key truth from, from Exodus that they've been set free from slavery. That is wonderful and glorious, but it's not an end in itself. They've not been set free as an end in itself just to be free. They've been set free from slavery to be set free for God. 
to have God as their God, to have God in their midst, to have God's presence with them. If freedom is not an end in itself, I mean, that's a big buzzword for our culture, freedom. And of course, freedom is wonderful. We need to have freedom. But freedom is never an end in itself. Certainly not in the Bible. We're freed for God. God is the only end in reality, in, in, in everything. Uh, there's a great little book by a book called John Piper, some of you may have heard, entitled God is the Gospel. God is the gospel. It's, it's, it's just a reminder that the good news, uh, you know, what is the gospel? We other people have discussion. What is the actual gospel? You know, is it Jesus Lord? Is it being saved from sin? Is it, is it um, I mean, there's sort of discussions around it, but, but he's just basically saying, God is the gospel. That is the good news. It's not ultimately about receiving salvation. It's not, even, it's not ultimately about enjoying church or having community or having a peace that passes understanding or having joy or hope or fulfillment or significance. These are all outworkings, but the gospel is God himself. You have God, creator. He wants to have you and you to have him, to have his presence, his experience, knowing him, being a child with the Father. And then it leads on to all sorts of experiences and challenges and, and, and joys. But it's simply having relationship, communion, fellowship with God that is our greatest prize because that's what we are designed for as human beings, for communion, for fellowship with God. You know, more than anything else we need is God's presence in, in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, and in our church. And I want to say, is that what you long for? Is that what you have set your heart on? to know more of God in your life, to experience his presence in your family's life, in your church. Well, what do we learn about experiencing God's presence here in Exodus? Uh, it's all about the tabernacle. It's this symbolic dwelling. But as we look at these uh, chapters, the first thing is um, that we're only going to experience this uh, presence of God uh, on God's terms. Okay, I think that's, this is the main point we're going to spend most of our time here. So just uh, flick back. There's a bit of turning of pages. So just flick back to chapter 25, if you've got your Bible open. And um, this is where the sort of start of the, the tabernacle chapters particularly starts, on page 83. And uh, Moses up the mountain. He's been given the, the Ten Commandments. This is how you're going to flourish when you live hearing God's word. And now he's giving his instructions about building the tabernacle, chapter 25, and then verse, uh, just look down at verse 8, he says, then let them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. The presence of God is going to come. Verse 9, make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern that I will show you. Okay. Uh, you're not at liberty to, to, to design this tabernacle. Moses, you might have architectural skills and gifts, you might have people around you who've got those kind of, you know, they like designs, they like soft interior furnishings, but no, Moses, you are to design it exactly as I command you. And the furniture to put in it, exactly what I command you. So he says it again, just look down at verse 40, it's just over the, over the page. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Uh, then he gives the exact instructions for tabernacle with measurements, you look on to verse 26, chapter 26, verse 30. Set up the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. We're getting the point. You've got to do this exactly as I tell you. 
And then he gets instructions for other parts. There's an altar in 27 verse 8. Make the altar hollow out of boards. It is to be made just as you were shown on the mountain. Uh, getting the point here, aren't we? Uh, and then there's stuff about the courtyard and oil and instructions for uh, who can serve in the tabernacle and, and what they're to wear. And he's, it's not just their flashy gear that God is, is, is um, you know, wanting them to, 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 to be like he says. Their ephod, and their, the ephod, by the way, is an apron, just in case you're thinking, what's an ephod? And, uh, and their, um, uh, the, um, uh, what's the other thing? There's a sort of breastplate covered in jewels. Uh, it's not just those that, that God is giving instructions for. I mean, he's giving instructions about their underwear. Uh, so look, look, 28, uh, verse 42, make linen undergarments as a covering for the body, reaching from the waist to the thigh. Sounds like boxer shorts, that, doesn't it? Uh, Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they will not incur guilt and die. Uh, you know, God is giving instructions, uh, specific, deliberate instructions about every aspect of how this tabernacle is to be and how you're to enter into it. Because God's presence only comes on his terms. And we saw last week, if you were here and if you weren't, I'd really recommend, because I wasn't, I was preaching somewhere else, but, but Bart was here and I listened to his sermon and I, you know, we saw last week in that chapter 32 what happens when you try to have God's presence on your own terms, uh, when you replace the true God with an idol, when you replace a God with an idol who can't speak, so you create a God of your own making as you chisel away bits of the Bible that you don't really like. Uh, trying to have God on your own terms is is a disaster with tragic consequences. And yet God's presence is the thing that we need more than anything else. But it only comes on God's terms. And Moses knows that. We've, we see that in, in chapter 33, as we've, we've glanced at. Don't, come, don't, don't send us up unless your presence is with us. And, and then it seems that the people have learned this lesson too, because... Uh, as they start uh, building from chapter 35, was, uh, they do exactly what God says. In chapter 35, an offering is taken. They, they give an offering. Um, they bring their treasure and their time and their talents for the building of this tabernacle. And uh, it's worth reading uh, these chapters, actually 35 and, and 36, because uh, there's some fantastic things there. People with skills that God has given them come to, to build the, the, the tabernacle. And then others keep giving gold and silver. They give us their treasure. In fact, in the end, we read, just have a look at 36, chapter 36 we're up to now, um, verse 6. 36, verse 6, we see, Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more, because what they already had was more than enough to all the work. Imagine that. Imagine that if a church leader stood at the front and said, no, no, stop giving. More than enough. The treasurer Dermot comes to me and says, look, tell them they've got to stop giving because we've got so much. Can I say, I haven't mentioned actually the, the gift day a couple of weeks ago. Thank you so much for your generosity uh, in, in the gift day. Uh, we've, I've been blessed. We've been blessed as a church to, to be able to start this Christchurch support fund and to, to be able to begin to look at our challenging budget for next year. Um, uh, there's still opportunities to give, uh, and, and so, so I'm not saying, you know, stop giving now. 
like, like Moses had to there. Um, but, but we are very thankful to God for, 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 for generous giving. Um, but, the, but the point is they've, they've, they are obedient to God's commands. So this is how you're to do it. And, and so they, they give and they, they get building. And then there's lots of repetition with earlier chapters because they're doing it just exactly as God had told Moses to do it. They're, they're repeating what they're, they're doing. And, and the point is made most clearly with the last two chapters of Exodus, uh, chapter 39, um, verse 1. Just have a look at that. We're getting back towards the end then. From the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn they made woven garments for ministering in the sanctuary. They also made sacred garments for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. And if you glance down at the end of each of those paragraphs, they each end as the Lord commanded Moses. In fact, 16 times in verses 39 and 40, you get this phrase, as the Lord commanded Moses. So, so we don't miss it. You know, God's presence comes on God's terms. They've done it exactly as he said. And now his glory fills the temple. His glory comes and dwells. Uh, there's loads and loads of details here. I mean, we, obviously, we, we could spend hours and years on this. Um, there's a little detail when this place is built in chapter 40, verse 17. Uh, we haven't had it read, so you won't have noticed it unless you know Exodus well. But just see when this tabernacle is set up. It's quite interesting. The tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. Now, the first day of the first month is exactly one year since the Passover, since the Exodus, since they came out of Egypt. So as they build this tabernacle, prepare for the coming of the Lord, they're thinking back to oh, that lamb that was sacrificed and the angel of death that passed over so that we were set free. And then, and then we, we left Egypt and then God delivered us through the, the Red Sea. They're, they're remembering that deliverance, that great deliverance as now they build the tabernacle in which God is going to come and dwell in them. See, God's presence comes uh, to a people who've been delivered by grace. But to, the freedom from slavery was not an end in itself. The freedom from slavery was so that they could have God's presence with them as their people. And you know that tabernacle would be set right in the middle of the 12 tribes. There'd be three here, three here, three here, three here, and the tabernacle God would be right at the center of his people. God's presence is what we need more than anything else, but it only comes on his terms. And I think that's important to keep stressing. It only comes on his terms because, because in our consumer culture, when the customer's always right, when we call the shots, when we're in charge, uh, you know, we get what we want when we want it most of the time. Unless you're on the phone to Virgin for hours and hours and hours. That was yesterday. But, but, but you, you know, that is our consumer culture. We expect what we want to have it in our way. And, and that is not how it is with God. It is on his terms, not on ours, that we can experience his presence. God's presence comes when we submit in humble obedience to his terms. So what does that mean for us? Because, I mean, we haven't got a tabernacle, have we? And the, tab the tabernacle went, and then the temple, which replaced the tabernacle, was a similar sort of thing. It was God's presence with his people at the heart of the nation. What about us? Well, what are God's terms to us 
for experiencing his presence. Well, just briefly, of course, we're, we're in the Advent season. And so we kind of know the answer, don't we? We'll experience God's presence on God's terms through Christ, through Christ alone. Uh, I, you know, the Advent season excited. We've lit, lit the second candle, two more to go, then it's Christmas Day. Uh, I came in this morning and William was absolutely excited about Christmas. Um, uh, and, and, and the children are getting excited. Advent is a wonderful season. But of course, the most famous Christian, uh, Christmas reading is, well, it's probably John 1:14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only uh, Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That Word, probably you know, uh, he came and dwelt among us, is tabernacled. He came and tabernacled among us. It's full of Exodus language. This is what he's thinking. Uh, this is what John is saying. Uh, for Israel, the symbolic dwelling of God's presence was the tabernacle. But as Jesus comes, the real presence of God comes to earth. Jesus himself, the glory is seen in him. Uh, and, and so uh, it is through Christ alone that we can experience the presence of God. There's no other way, no other means. You know, people talk a lot about spirituality and being spiritual, and, and, and I think people are a bit tired of being cold, secular materialists, and there is some sort of desire for spiritual, because we're made in God's image. There's bound to be a desire for spiritual stuff, but, but there's no authentic, genuine experience of the presence of God except through Jesus Christ. He is the Word made flesh. Uh, he is the, the one who tabernacled among us. If we'd been around at the right time, in the right place, uh, we could have stood next to the very presence of God. We could have stood next to Jesus. You know, no wonder his disciples were distraught when, they, when he said they were, when he was going away. But of course he had something even better. Something even better for them and for us. Uh, not just to be next to them, the presence of God, but to be in them and in us. So we're going to experience... Uh, God's presence on God's terms through Christ by his Spirit. It's only as the Holy Spirit comes, as he sends his Spirit into our hearts, into our church, that we truly experience the very presence of God. Paul writes to the Christians in Corinth, don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? For those who come to Jesus, put their faith in him, have their sins forgiven, he sends his Spirit into our hearts to take up residence, to tabernacle amongst us. And just before that, Paul said about the church, you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. Where do we find the presence of God? Well, we find it in here. Not, not in here. I mean, it's a beautiful building. We like the building, don't we? Uh, but, but it's in here, in, the, in God's people is where God's presence comes to dwell. In our hearts through Christ and amongst his people as a body, as one. And so, is that your greatest longing to have God's presence manifest uh, amongst us? There's nothing more important. He's, he's present in his word. We're hearing his voice, even as we look at this word together. He's here in communion um, as in, in, amongst us. Not because he's in the, it's not in the bread and wine. He's, he's in here by his spirit. We're going to say that the Lord is here. His spirit is present. And I want to pray that we would sense that in a real way. 
as we come to the Lord's Supper, of course, we are looking back to remember our salvation, that Christ died for us on the cross. There's no other means of salvation, no other means of coming into God's presence, just as they had to be delivered from slavery in Egypt. But that's not the end in itself. The end is that we would rejoice in his presence here with us today. And then as we go from here, we say, Lord, don't go. I don't, don't send me out from here unless, unless you're coming with me into my workplace, into my family, into my home, into my decisions, into my uh, uh, job, into, into, into everything that I do. Uh, Lord, I want to do it with you. Our friends, there's nothing more than we need than his presence with us. I'm going to sing in a moment when the musicians want to come up. I'm going to sing and... And just have a moment as we come towards the Lord's Supper. But can I just ask you, is that what you, you long for more than anything else? Not his stuff, but, but him. Is that what you're praying for? You wake up every day saying, Lord, be present with me today. Be present. I'm sorry, God, if I want you for your stuff. I want you for you. Lord, Lord, don't send us up from here unless you go with us. The most precious thing we can have is God's presence. One day we're going to experience that in all its fullness. You know, Moses could only see a little glimpse of his glory. Uh, we feel so often, we don't always feel that presence of God, but he is present if we're in Christ. But one day we're going to see him face to face. We're going to become like him and enjoy that presence for all eternity. But do you want that presence of God? Let's just pause as we just have a moment of personal prayer and then we'll sing of the cross and then gather around the Lord's table. Holy Spirit, we Thank you that you are present here. You promise to be present amongst your people. You dwell in the midst of your people. And we pray as we, as we sing and then as we come to your table, receive bread and wine, would you open our hearts further to your presence. Humble, obedient submission to your word. Trusting Jesus. Jesus' name.